We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. You can call now, leave a message. They will return your call at 905-529-7165. And check out the website at andyanddon.com. There you can listen to old archive shows and ask a question via the listener inquiry button. Good morning, gentlemen. Good, Good morning, Scott. Good morning, did Scott. you all watch the uh, big debate the other night? I did get to I see did. a lot I of it. I saw yes. the whole thing. So now you're going to actually talk about that, decode it, a little... Uh, uh, debate, a uh, debate, fiscal fallout. I guess. <laughs> That's right. Well, it's interesting. You know, it was hard to follow at times because everybody was speaking over each other. Yeah. So, right. and you know, they did get some of their points across, which was great. Uh, started off a little, you know, feisty right at the beginning. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, and it kind of got going after a while. You always question. You know, there's only a few real major parties, including, say, the Green Party. And then you get the other two and say, yeah. you know, wonder why they're in the mix if yeah. there's very little chance of them being elected. But if you just take a look at the top three and you look at their platforms and you say, okay, liberals, conservatives, NDP, mm-hmm. and you say, okay, where do they actually stand? Because it was hard to follow that. Yeah, yeah. And so a little bit of research on this. So you look at the income tax, which is near, to, near and dear to my heart. You know, I think uh, tax is a, a great consideration. So where are they going to pay mm-hmm. for all these promises? Yeah. And generally speaking, it comes with some tax hike somewhere. Um, they're because they're already running deficits, so they have to find revenue somewhere. Yeah. So uh, starting with the liberals here, um, one thing they on their platform is they're not going to start any personal income tax until fifteen thousand mm-hmm. dollars. So pretty darn good. I like that. It's up from twelve thousand and sixty nine dollars in two thousand nineteen. So you can make an extra almost three thousand dollars without paying tax. Mm-hmm. Now. That being said, it it sounds maybe a little bit better than you think because that you are in the lowest tax bracket yeah. at that stage. You're probably so, looking at what two hundred dollars of tax on that <laughs> yeah. three grand. Uh, I think it's more like five hundred, but okay. still, yeah. it's uh, it does sound like a lot better when you go like, oh wow, well, we're moving it to fifteen thousand. But it is, you know, yeah. you got to say, okay, what's this in my pocket? Well, on the other side of things, they're going to be reducing corporate tax deductions. Well, that's a nice way of saying we're going to increase corporate tax, mm-hmm. <laughs> okay? Yeah. And we know what happened when they tried to increase a lot of the corporate tax last time. Um, you know, they had to backtrack on a lot of it mm-hmm. because at the end of the day, a lot of the corporations are the ones hiring people and and they're trying to create a bottom providing, line. Providing jobs. Yeah. Providing jobs. So, mm-hmm. And this isn't just when everybody thinks corporate tax. They often think of, okay, the, the big you know, McDonald's Corporation or Royal Bank of Canada, the big boys. They are included in that. But all those professional corporations, from your doctor having a professional corporation, or little mom and pop businesses, they're, they're incorporated. Mm-hmm. They're, they may be only making sixty, seventy thousand 70000 a year. Okay, you're losing some of those corporate t- tax deductions. So uh, some of these are working poor. They're mm-hmm. working 80 hours a week mm-hmm. and trying to make money. So I, I question that personally, but anyway, that's, uh, that's their, their thing on income tax. Conservatives, on the other hand, they want to decrease tax rates on incomes less than 47630 So really, at the end of the day, it's not too different than the liberals there because they want to decrease the tax rate by 1.25% mm-hmm. on those rates under there. Okay, so if you're in a, in that case, say a 30% tax bracket, now you're going to be in a 28.75% tax bracket in that area. Again, what's it really mean in your pocket? probably another five or six hundred dollars okay different way of cutting up the same pie and calling it something different um they are looking at introducing a green public transition uh transit tax credit 
which I think is a great idea. Have more people take buses. Gives them some incentive mm-hmm. to take that. I, I like that. I always like that fitness credit and the arts credit. Yeah. yeah. You know? If you got kids doing stuff. And yeah. for, my wife's know, the same way. I know. That was a good one. It was she good was for everybody. That. Yeah. They kind of said it was good. You know, I, they took it away, the liberals, because they said it was for, you know, the rich are taking advantage of this. Yeah. Well, it wasn't a ton of money anyway. So a $1,000 fitness credit works out to $200 yeah. in your pocket. Right. But that effect, everybody gets this $200. Yeah. I don't see a problem with everybody getting to back $200. Yeah. And also the arts and learning credit is $500. Um, so, and also if conservatives will be rolling back some of those changes to the corporate taxes that they felt was maybe moving the dial too far. Right. Okay. Not all of them, but some of them. Um, NDP. Yeah, I was just going to, just going to, go ahead. I want to just clarify because I, I was thinking about this uh, basic exemption and, mm-hmm. and that's true outside of Ontario. So anybody who's listening to this, you can already earn $15,414 because there's an Ontario tax reduction that's given from the province that actually zeroes out your income tax. Mm. So there'd be no benefit in Ontario to that policy. Oh. Uh, okay. Going back to the liberals then. So exactly. And again, it sounds great. Yeah. But. The um, net result not for anybody in, in Ontario, Ontario. Yeah. which interesting is their base. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, is we'll get no tax relief by that change. Yeah. Okay. Well, therefore, the Conservatives, if you're living in Ontario, that would benefit you by far if they're lowering the tax rate by one point two five percent for incomes Directly. under forty seven thousand. Simple solution too. That is easy. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that is an easy one. Um, the NDP, uh, they are going after the super wealthy. Anybody that has assets over $20 million. Is that a lot of Canadians? Not a ton. Like virtually hardly any. Okay. So we're talking about a a decimal, 0.1 of 1% kind of thing. Yeah. But they will be taxing a wealth tax of 1% of their total assets every year. Yeah. So if you did happen to creep up to 20 million between your property values, your cottages, your investments. I'm almost there, yours, man. <laughs> yeah, if you added all those things. And still things, working. I, I yeah, admire you. Right. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. I love what I do, you know, Andy. <laughs> oh, no, exactly. Yeah. And I don't know a whole lot of people in this bracket. I do know some, but I do know that the people that do have this kind of money, they usually have it invested. Yeah. They have it in properties. They're not liquid and they're going to charge them 1% per year penalty tax. So it'd be a two hundred thousand dollar per year tax on on twenty million dollars. And they can't sell a cottage right. to raise the two hundred grand. Exactly. So where does the money come from? Cash flow or out of their investments. You'd have to borrow the two hundred thousand dollars and then sell some asset later yeah. if it was fully invested. Yeah. Right. Okay. So interesting concept. It sounds good on paper. It sounds great for people that don't have two twenty million. So, oh yeah, the, go after those guys. Tax the rich sells. But uh, if you <laughs> happen to inherit a really nice cottage. And that was a, your only asset in an apartment building. And it happened to be worth $20 million. You now have to figure out a way to get 200000 a year out of that mm-hmm. and pay the government. Yeah. Just Airbnb it. There you go. <laughs> That's the answer to everything, I think. Exactly. That's uh, right. Talking of which. Uber and Airbnb. Right. Talking of which, you're, I know you're not going to like this one, Scott. But they, if they increase uh, tax, um, cor- uh, capital gains tax from 50% to 75%. Mm. So the reason I said that, Scott, is because anybody who owns a cottage. I was going to ask you, because there was actually, and this has been um, uh, pretty much forgotten because it never did become policy, but there was a paper somewhere where the Liberals were talking about taking your principal residence and taxing that. That That was a chatter at the beginning of the campaign that's pretty much subsided by now. Yeah, I think they put some water on that fire. Yeah. Yeah. But not this one. But not this one. No, and that one's been around for a couple of years. It was sort of floated out there two or three years ago. 
because I know some accountants uh, brought that up as a strategy. You know, do you deregister if you're trying to income, uh, if you're trying to balance your income relative to a tax bracket so you don't get into a higher tax yeah. bracket. But if you're in a low income bracket, a lot of times we would suggest taking money out of your RSP or RIF. Yeah. And some accountants were suggesting we'll trigger capital gains because they're likely going to get taxed at a higher rate. Yeah. So, I mean, the argument... Uh, it, nothing did change, but it, it may still be an issue. Yeah, yeah. So, and especially if the NDP uh, gets in, which is rate at this point unlikely, yeah. but they would raise the capital gains tax from fifty percent to seventy five percent. So when you are uh, s- selling something that isn't your principal residence, you'd be dinged at seventy five. Seventy five percent is of taxable the, of, the of, of the profit. Of the, yeah. Is taxable. Is taxable yeah. versus fifty percent of the profits right, taxable. Right, right. Okay, and on top of that, they would uh, add another. Tax increase the top tax bracket by two percent. So Ontario would be at a whopping fifty five point five three percent tax. Yeah. Mm. Already bad enough at fifty three point five three percent on anything over two twenty. Over two ten actually. Two hundred ten thousand. So but I know it starts at two twenty, but for argument's sake, you would now hit the top tax bracket would end up in Ontario fifty five point five three percent. And everybody says, Oh well, it's no biggie. I don't earn over two twenty a year anyway. Until you die. Mm-hmm. And this is the estate tax. I'm always worried about because all those RSPs, the cottage mm-hmm. that you may have, um, your parents. Everything all, other than your house, really, right? Everything other than your house, pretty much. And tax-free savings accounts, mm-hmm. okay? Mm-hmm. If the total goes up and you have an income over 220000 in the year of death, all of a sudden this is actually adding to an, what, it's not formally an estate tax, but virtually it's an estate tax. Yeah. Okay, because you, your your income goes way over this for one year of your entire life. Yeah. For when you're when you pass away, and then maybe you they pay. should average that. If it <laughs> happens over two or three years, then we'll talk. That is actually what if they're actually concerned about middle class, as uh, I hear all the time. I find it rhetoric because if they really cared, go by their average tax bracket the last three or four years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because that's yeah. more, you know they yeah. never were in a high bracket before. Why that's are they right. all of a sudden in one year? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And they're living because they're not here to answer to it. <laughs> that's they're exactly. No they're not question. here to fight. And that's actually a great point because no, you can't uh, have them argue. And you know that mom and dad would sp- would roll over in their grave if yeah. they knew that ha- more than half their estate would go to the taxman. Yeah, absolutely. And under the NDP, it would be fifty five point five three percent versus fifty three point five three, which is way too much anyway. I have to date myself three years ago, th- actually four years ago. It used to be forty six percent 46 and a half percent and uh as bad as that sounded at the time it's looking real good now yeah yeah okay yeah. once you get over the halfway point that's just this should be yeah. illegal okay um housing uh you know they all had different views on housing some uh, different ones here i liked uh actually all of them had some good ideas liberals um i like this one actually tax on vacant properties owned by non-residents and so if uh person from who knows where um, we talk about a lot of Chinese owning properties here if they're not living in them right they have to pay a tax on that mm-hmm. and so what they would end up doing is having to rent them out and and this is actually the problem there's a lot there's there's no rent right for a lot of uh, major cities right now and yet you see no lights on in a whole mm-hmm. bunch of condo units yeah because yeah. nobody's living in them yeah and so they keep having to build more condos thinking oh well we need it but then again they're bought up by foreigners, yeah. even after this 15% for buyer, foreign buyers yeah. tax that they added, right. which is only in a couple um, provinces. So I think that's a great idea. Build 100,000 affordable homes over the next 10 years is another liberal idea. And $15 million in funding for homeless vets. So yeah. all good. Um, conservatives, increase the amortization from for first-time buyers only 
up to 30 years. So they used to be um, 30 years, yeah. the amortization of mortgages, and then they would drop back to 25. But for first time home buyers, they're saying, okay, we'll move back up to 30 to try to help them out with their payments again. Mm-hmm. Great idea. Um, you, I like this one actually, use surplus federal real estate for housing developments for affordable housing. Mm-hmm. There must be vast amounts of federal lands yeah. and some of it could be very appropriate for um, you know, affordable housing and they're not using it effectively. So I thought that was a good idea. And the taxpayers own that already. Yeah, 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 yeah why yeah, not? Yeah. It's not really costing anything. No. Just, there you go. And uh, a federal tax credit for up to $20,000 for energy saving, energy saving renovations, such as, you know, heating, solar, yeah. new windows. Love this one. Um, you know, you talk about who's being the most green. If uh, you give, if you gave any of these individuals out, all as homeowners, a $20,000 credit. Yeah. Um, which a credit works out to $4,000 in your pocket. Yeah. So it's at 20%. So $4,000 in your pocket to help bring your, your home up to snuff. Mm-hmm. I think great idea. So I do like uh, the platform on that one particularly. And NDP, a uh, long list, 500,000 housing units over 10 years mm-hmm. they would build. And start with right off the get-go, $5 billion in the first 18 months to start getting it going. Not sure where they're going to get the $5 billion from. Yeah. That's B, with the mm-hmm. B. okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they did, they did also do use the 30-year amortization for home buyers, first home buyers. And they uh, did double the home buyer's tax credit from 750 to 1500 like that one. That's no break, biggie. And they did uh, also increase the 15% federal, sorry, for buyer's tax for home buyers. Right across the board, not just certain areas. Yeah. Okay. And that probably isn't a bad idea either. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group from IG Private Wealth Management. We're going to take a quick break here. We're coming back. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. Call now. Leave a message. They'll return your call at 905-529-7165. And check out the website at andyanddon.com. We're breaking down the debate here and what was promised and the fiscal fallout. Yes, yes. We've already gone through the income tax, uh, what they're going to look at there. We've gone through housing, some interesting ideas there. Now you look at kids, okay, um, you know, new uh, parents out there and how are they going to be uh, benefited by whichever one they elect. And maternity benefits and parental benefits, they're going to make tax-free. When I say they, both the Liberals and the Conservatives mm-hmm. are wanting that to be tax-free. Great idea. Um, 10% decrease before and after school uh, costs, which uh, the Liberals are mm-hmm. suggesting. Uh, a 25000 increase in child care spaces. So they will build or somehow find 25,000 childcare spaces, the Liberals will. Mm-hmm. Um, increase Canada school grant by, twel- by $1,200. So currently it's $3,000 and it's based on income. They'll make it about $4,200. Right. Uh, it's an interesting, you'd have to go to the, uh, and find the Canadian school grant to see if you qualify. It's based on your household income. Mm-hmm. So I, I did touch on that um, getting just before the show and and it, and it all based on bracket and the number of kids, you have, you know, people in the household. Right. So you have to look at the grid and see if you even qualify. So even if you, even if they didn't do this, I think it's a great idea for people just to check to see if yeah. they qualify. Yeah. And if they, uh, and they very well may, they may not even known about it. Um, student loans would be interest free for two years after they graduate, which I think is also a great idea because yeah. usually they're trying to get a job and they're not ma- earning a great amount of money yet. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Conservatives, as I mentioned, they're going to still do the same thing in terms of maternity 
benefits and parental benefits be tax-free. They, we may, you may have heard that uh, they will be increasing the RESP grant mm-hmm. um, up to 30% from 20%. Mm-hmm. So therefore, if you put in 2,500 into your ta- uh, RESP, Registered Education Savings Plan, currently you'd get $500. You would now get $750 of was grant. It, was that going to be income tested at all? I, no. I'm not sure. No, okay. It's Everybody not income tested at all. Okay. So anybody contributing. Basically, basically allows a parent to put less money in to maximize the RESP benefits. So the benefits still top out at $7,200 per child, Mm. but you don't have to put as much money in to get to it, which I personally think is a great idea. Mm -hmm. Okay, because that's actually probably the hardest thing to do. You're trying to do your RSPs, you're trying to pay your mortgage, you've got childcare costs. Mm -hmm. Oh boy, I better start saving for education too. And so this is a, it doesn't actually cost the government extra money per se, because they're still going to dole out the same amount, but it makes it easier on the parents. Mm-hmm. which means they can then spend that extra money on something else. Yeah. Okay. Um, NDP, childcare, they would go a billion dollars per year to increase affordable childcare. Um, student loans would be interest-free, period. Mm-hmm. And eventually, they would look upon trying to get free tuition for all. Mm-hmm. So that might be a little pie in the sky. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, if uh, they are getting that kind of funding, that has to come from somewhere. Yeah. And I did hear the... Um Conservatives talked about re-indu- reintroducing the children fitness tax credit and the yeah. children arts tax credit. Right. right? Yeah. I'm not sure if you were. No, we said that. Did we, you cover that, that one was already? Mm-hmm. Covered off there. <clears throat> and uh, yeah, and that's again, it's one of those niceties. Um, not a big amount of money. A thousand dollar sports credit is yeah. worth two hundred dollars in your pocket. But again, it's just one of those things I personally like. Yeah, I yeah. I think it's great that okay, my kid is going to play soccer, and right. I'm trying to. You want them. You're trying to give incentive to get them away from using their devices. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. and uh, why not uh, give them a bit of a bonus? Give the parents a bonus for doing that, regardless of their income. Yeah. It's a it's a great idea, and I think the only fly in the ointment is I find that people are poor record keepers. And when it comes time to actually filing the return and providing the receipts necessary to Mm -hmm. get these credits, Mm -hmm. that it sometimes makes it more challenging. It's better just to give people the the money right up front without having to provide proof of something because too many people just, it falls through the gap. (laughs) You don't get it. Well, with the people, more and more sports teams are going everything by email. It's getting so easy. Electronic electronic copies copies of receipts. Hit a button. As soon as you register, you get the receipt. It would finally get to that. You're right, though. Trying to keep all those pieces of paper straight has always been a challenge. On a senior side, how do these uh, parties help seniors? Well, the Liberals were going to look at increasing old age security benefits by 10% once you're over 75 years old. Mm -hmm. So... I. I'm not quite sure where, why they picked a certain age. Maybe they're thinking they're running out of uh, RSP assets or... Um, they're getting close to the end of life? I'm, yeah, I'm not quite sure of the thinking there, but it uh, sounds was that, good. Was that cynical? I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, mm. also, but if you got that money earlier, then you could take it and invest it, and then that would help you in latter years. That but. would have been not a bad idea. Wow, yeah. good, good thing, Scott. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> it, it's, the Prime Minister's not answering my calls. Uh, it's funny <laughs> how that's happening. Um, boosts Canada Pension Plan survivor benefits by 25%. This is an interesting one because CPP survivor benefits are are based on if your spouse contributed to their max. Mm-hmm. So if they've maxed out their CPP benefits because they worked all their life and, and you both did, there is no Canada Pension Plan no, survivor zero. benefits. <laughs> so it is a bit of an empty promise, except if you have a non-working spouse mm-hmm. that didn't contribute, then they get a full 
amount of Canada Pension Plan survivor benefits. Mm. So it sounds great, but I don't know how much it actually costs. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, on the conservative side, they would increase the age credit by $1,000 regardless. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that one again affects all people. Um, sorry, I do apologize. For incomes under 87000 Right. So it was a catch-all. Mm-hmm. So if you make on, if you make uh, over $87,000, you've started to lose your old age security and you would not get this extra $1,000 right. of age credit. NDP, uh, there would be a, care t- a caregiver tax credit payable for those that don't pay income tax. I really like this one, actually. I think it's kind of interesting. So if you're not paying tax, but you're looking after a father or mother, right. and you're probably not mm-hmm. working because you can't, you're, it's a full-time yeah. job, well, you're not paying tax and you don't get this credit. So why should this person not get this money that everybody else would get? Right. And it only, it may be a, about $1,000, uh, $1,200, but I think that's a pretty cool idea. Mm-hmm. So there's the rundown of all the different platforms and uh, what they think on each of these areas between income tax, housing, children, seniors, on all the parties. But now if we get to, how does this mean to you and how do I really look after my own plan? Invest- IG Wealth Management has a great plan in terms of a, a, a well-being test. Our financial well-being score. And I know we've talked about that before. And it's uh, it's something when you think about your financial well-being or achieving financial well-being, I mean, the bottom line of what Don and I are doing every simple, every single day is trying to enhance or improve someone's financial well-being. And I think about it in the context of, you know, for many of us, we make uh, an annual trip to the doctor for a physical and we want to understand from our health perspective, what are the various components of my health that maybe need to be addressed? What's, what am I doing well at or what am I doing poorly at? Maybe you've got good cholesterol numbers, good blood pressure numbers, but still um, there's other issues with respect to uh, blood count. You know, it could be anything, right? Sure. But the whole point of having a health checkup is to understand a baseline where you are and be able to look at how can I improve or provide options or guidance? How can I improve right. my financial health? I mean, my, my physical health. So in terms of pro- providing or enhancing your financial health, your financial well-being, and it's funny, I've been thinking about all these political agendas and nobody, they talk about affordability. They talk about affordability yeah. of homes. They talk about the cost of living and how nobody's getting ahead. And yet... I don't see anybody addressing financial literacy. I don't see anybody addressing financial well-being. Why don't they have a tax credit? If you go and visit a financial planner and you receive a financial checkup that idea. identifies mm-hmm. yeah, right. how you're Sounds, doing, yeah. gives you some guidelines as how to improve your financial I health. I vote for you right now, Andy. <laughs> I'm going to give you a tax credit <laughs> for providing proof of a, of a visit to a financial planner. Yeah, that makes sense. And it's, uh, I, I don't know. I think this is something that's going to evolve in mm. the coming years. Because yeah. your financial health and your physical health are probably the two most important things that, mm-hmm. you know, in terms of your outcomes going forward. Mm-hmm. And so if we can improve people's outcomes financially, uh, that'll probably help them health-wise too. Yeah, so it, it, it's, it could be a win-win, but nobody's you, talking about that. Are you running as an independent? <laughs> or are you, which party? Uh, well, I just have one platform on my, one issue on my platform though. It's pretty, it's pretty narrow. So, <laughs> you're, so you're green. I guess so, just oh, one no. issue. <laughs> green is money. No, we're not. Yeah, yeah we see. Ah, green for money. Yeah. I, I, I don't mind. Relation. Yeah, there I like go. that. <laughs> Um, so at, at IG Wealth Management, we, we've adopted the, 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 
the concept of financial well-being and achieving, helping people achieve better financial well-being, and we call that our financial well-being score. And it um, and it really identifies or helps you identify the areas of opportunity in six key components of your financial well-being. And the six components start with um, preparing for the unexpected. So that is in case of a health issue in case of a job loss and mm-hmm. it could be anything along that case of a, a death or a disability how what how prepared are you to be able to manage through that financially planning for major expenditures you know we um we often think about uh what needs to get might be a car obviously cars are a big purchase mm-hmm. as part of our lives it could be a home for first time home buyers it could be uh, a second property or it could be a major vacation as part of a retirement plan. Mm-hmm. It could be a renovation on your home. There's all kinds of major expenditures that we have. Even education for that matter. And education, kids. absolutely. Mm-hmm. So um, the third area, which comes into your business success, and this is really about strategies, how to synchronize and enhance your personal and your business financial plan together. And the fourth area is optimizing your retirement. And so obviously trying to manage those risks of retirement, preserve that capital, but creating the income stream that you want to support your goals. And the next area is sharing your wealth. So after, after it's all said and done, what is left over and your capacity to be able to share your wealth either with family members and friends uh, through a form of your estate or, through ch- or to charity. <clears throat> and also managing cash flow efficiently is the final area. And for many of us, it's funny, I think, um, you know, when we talk about affordability and the cost of living for everybody, those people that don't have a lot of money are probably the best at managing their cash flow mm-hmm. efficiently. They have no choice. Yeah, you know, yeah. everything is very tight and there's no, ro- there's no wiggle room for, you know, mm-hmm. a $500 phone bill yeah. because of some random thing, mm-hmm. overage. But um, so managing cash flow efficiently. And then what we've been able to do is look at some of the key components of each of these six areas. And, um, and and when you think about managing cash flow, we start off with a cash flow analysis, looking at what is, what is the money that's coming in, but more importantly, what's going out on a monthly basis or an mm-hmm. annual basis in terms of your ongoing expenses. Many of us aren't very good at understanding or, or keeping track of what we're spending, mm-hmm. uh, but understanding that and being able to work with your, your cash flow is so important. Uh, the second thing on managing cash flow efficiently would be some would be secured lending. So, do you have capacity to provide or set up a line of credit that might form part of an emergency, mm-hmm. or it might also be money that's available in case of an opportunity, a buying opportunity. It might be a special a vehicle that comes mm-hmm. up for sale. It might be a property that comes up for sale. That's where secured lending gives you more uh, or more efficient in, in efficiency in terms of managing your cash flow. Um, and then tax-efficient income planning, when you think about the income you're receiving, <clears throat> might be salary, et cetera, but if you're receiving investment income, how to best minimize the tax on that. When we think about preparing for the unexpected, we want uh, income and wealth protection, that's insurance. We want estate liquidity needs. We want to look at your estate and uh, and the trust advisory, so your wills, your powers of attorney. And then we want to understand what living benefits you have, disability, critical illness, long-term care. When you think about planning for major expenditures, we want to review what is your credit score, what's your liquidity solutions, and if you need money. What about education planning, as Don mentioned? What about investing your your investments 
are they properly structured? And what about a recreational property if that's part of your goal as well? In terms of managing your business, obviously corporate taxes, optimizing those corporate investments, liquidity and a business succession plan, plan all form part of that measurement. Optimizing your retirement is really about understanding a customized retirement program with a portfolio that's constructed to provide that, total return strategies, guaranteed income and lifetime income solutions, and understanding how to withdraw properly from your pool of money. And then finally, sharing your wealth is really about intergenerational wealth planning and transfer, gifting, charitable giving, and uh, finally, beneficiary and literacy, beneficiary and personal literacy for those that are receiving the money. So altogether, that ends up giving us a score. And the score is a valuable tool to understand how you're doing in each of those categories. Mm. Yes. And in the score could be if it's under 40, you're in red, not good. You mm-hmm. got lots of work there. 40 to 70, you're in the yellow range kind of the amber, kind mm. of like the stoplights. And over over right. 70, you're in green. Obviously, 100 is a perfect score, mm-hmm. okay? And what I love about this plan is they've weighted them. So it's not just, you know, it's 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 garbage in, garbage out. If you've taken a, a, a really solid person's, what we call personal financial review, all their data of cash flow, insurance, wills, all the details, now we put that into a personal financial plan that we've created for you and it goes through inflation. It it does the Monte Carlo analysis that we talked about. Mm -hmm. It goes through a very detailed plan and then that is now taken into a one page living plan assessment. Mm -hmm. And that assessment is only as good as the data that you created for this. But then, for example, if you are a senior, well, insurance, life insurance may not be as big of a waiting Mm -hmm. because you've maybe gotten through this, you know, past the kid's age and, and so forth. And, but other things would be more important, such as sharing your wealth mm-hmm. would be a bigger one. Well, if you're under 30, sharing your wealth is not a big one at all. It's actually rates as zero. Yeah. And therefore, you know, you're trying to do other things, but optimize retirement. That's one of the biggest weightings all the way through. So it's, it's really well done, taking all the data, and then it creates a score. So at the end of it, you get, what I really love, is you get this optimizing your retirement paycheck. Mm-hmm. And it literally prints out a paycheck with your name on it, with the client's name on it, Mm. dated on the day of your retirement. Mm. And it will show you at the bottom whether you are close to where you wanted to go. Right. So in this particular case, I'm looking at this person's target would be $8,700 a month Mm -hmm. to live at their lifestyle that they need to live on. Mm -hmm. Well, they're on track right now to have $5,300 a month. So... It shows this little bar chart on the bottom, but it prints out an actual check that they're getting $5,300 a month, dated April 2032, Mm. and you're on track to reach that percentage of your paycheck. Mm. So this is all the collection of data, and this is why Andy and I are so diligent on grabbing this data to create the plan, which creates now this living plan assessment. We are so excited about this. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. Call now. Leave a message at 905-529-7165. We're coming right back. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. Call now. Leave a message. They'll get back to you at 905-529-7165. And don't forget the website, andyanddon.com. You can listen to archive shows there and ask a question via the listener inquiry button. All right. Uh, six things that could affect your credit score. Yes. Yes. Every, you know, people think, well, I pay my bills on time. I, I never miss any of those hydro bills and my credit card payments or 
I always at least pay the minimum. Mm-hmm. So therefore, my credit score must be good. Mm-hmm. And has, if anybody here, Andy, have you done a credit score recently? I did. I, I, re, I asked uh, Equifax to send me one. And if you want the free version, you have, they make you wait about three weeks. But it does come in the mail mm-hmm. <laughs> eventually. Okay. Mm-hmm. And your credit score was a good number. It was a good number. It was 814. Well, I'll let you know how wow. that is. I don't, I, it, it's, it was in the green zone. It okay. wasn't yellow. So I, I figured I was That in the being right said, spot. Andy. But I it, think a majority of people are probably green. And you would think that most financial planners would be. Well, that's If a all good of point. a sudden Andy said, I'm in the yellow or I'm in the red, I'm thinking, I don't <laughs> know. Uh, true enough. True enough. <laughs> good for you, Andy. I don't pay off my credit you, cards. You practice what you preach. <laughs> and, this, right. and this, by the way, <laughs> listeners, is impromptu. Mm-hmm. And we are actually, because we just have a little quick chat there off air. And uh, just to give you an idea, credit score ranges, Andy. Go from 300 all the way up to 900. Yeah. Mm. So if you're at 814. Well, now I got room for improvement. Yeah. Uh, you are. Jeez, <laughs> oh, I'm depressed. <laughs> I was just going to ask you for a loan. <laughs> okay. Okay. The credit score ranges from 300 to 814. Hey. <laughs> I feel a lot better now. <laughs> Anybody who has a credit score over 800 is considered excellent. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So congratulations, Two Andy. Two thumbs up. Excellent. So get yourself to a financial institution and go buy something. <laughs> That's right. Is that, that is what actually, you learned from that? That is actually part of it. We're going to go through all the different things. If your credit score is between 720 and 799, you're very good. Mm-hmm. 650 to 719, you're good. 600 to 640, fair. Anything under 600, boo. Oh, really? Yeah, mm-hmm. poor. And nobody wants to look at it. I don't know actually why, because they only go 300 to 599. I don't know why credit That's a big, score. Big gap there. Yeah, you know, nothing happens before uh, 300. Mm-hmm. I don't understand. <laughs> you don't exist. Yeah, it doesn't matter. <laughs> but, but doesn't how matter. many people fall into? I, I'm curious to know what percentage of people fall into each of those yeah, categories. Like how many are actually below 599? Well, interesting talking to our our mortgage specialists because we offer mortgages and yeah. lines of credits. They love um, Georgia. Our mortgage specialist loves dealing with our clients. Because they have great credit scores. Mm-hmm. Okay, she is dealing with people that are looking after their finances, yeah. paying bills. We are dealing with those type of people. So you're absolutely right. The ones we see yeah. off quite, do quite it. well. Yeah. Yeah. The ones visiting Money Mart likely are not, are not do not have as good a credit <laughs> no. score. Right. Right. Okay. Because you're getting your money off an ape standing on the street that's holding <laughs> a sign saying "cash your check here." Yeah. That's not good. Not a good one no. to get your money at. Uh, 500 plus percent. Okay. So anyway, paying your bills on time is 35% of your score. Mm. That's it. So call it 130 your score sure. is just paying your bills. Okay. 30% is credit utilization. What percentage of the max mm. are you making? Are right. you using? Yeah. If you've got a $50,000 line of credit and it is up to $50,000, yeah. Or your or your credit card is a twenty thousand max, and you're right, right up to twenty thousand every month. You're right. using it, even if you pay it off. Yeah, they still is. Wow, he's really using, or she's really using her, their full credit, mm. and that hurts your credit score. Mm. How much is that worth? Thirty percent. Thirty percent. Yeah, less than the other. Okay. And minimum payments. What about if you've already bought everything, though? This is all irrelevant. <laughs> <laughs> You don't need to ever borrow again. No, <laughs> I'm good. By the way, making minimum payments also decreases your credit score. Yeah. They do not want to say, oh, wow, okay. yeah, I make my payments on the credit card every month. Yeah. It's going to be paid off in 33 years at this stage. Yeah, exactly. Um, that does not help your credit score. Um, number one tip for to, is really to decrease your standard of living. Decrease your, some of those things, like pull the plug maybe on cable or have that phone off or stop stopping for coffee every day. And automatically apply that extra money to debt, and that will de- that will increase your credit score. Now, here's another one: 
Length of your credit history is 15% of your credit score. So if you start with a your first time credit card and you've had this thing since university and you are now 56 like we are, mm. well, you've had a, a track record on that card for right. over 30 years. Right. Well, if you don't have any other old cards and you cut that one, I want this new card, you've just lost that credit history. Yeah. It starts from zero. So you got a new card, that new history starts at zero. So sometimes it's actually better keeping that old card simply to keep track, to keep your credit score up. Right. Because they do want to show that you have a fairly long credit history. Mm -hmm. God forbid you lose it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I guess they issue a new one, doesn't matter. So even if you don't like the card, especially if it's free, just keep it, put it in the vault, yeah. don't use it, and you'll keep that credit history going. And 10% of your score is based on cr credit inquiries. So if you're shopping around for a car and you go like 10 dealers and they all uh, turn you down and they all, they all say, okay, and we'll go, we'll give you a financing. Every inquiry oh. is a count against your credit score, even though you might have a perfect score. Right. The, the fact that so you, if you're financing it through them and they check. And they're checking. The fact you got checked is against. But they would check you for everything. Right. But it looks Anything like you're, you're trying a lot of cards, especially store credit cards. Right. You go to a, a bay. Oh, do you want my credit card? You go to Canadian Tire. Do you want our credit card? And you say, sure, 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 sure. These are all inquiries mm -hmm. and they'll reduce mm -hmm. your credit score. So be mindful for applying for tons of loans. Just apply for the ones you really need. Mm -hmm. Okay. And another- Does it make any advantage if you have more credit cards as to less? Uh, no, it does. There's not. It shows right. again length of cre right. credit uh, on the one card. So having one versus four. To, yeah, it matter. doesn't matter. Right. Okay, but again, credit uh, utilization. If you're maxed out if all you're the time, burning them all up. Right, that's mm -hmm. a different story. Mm -hmm. right. And ten uh, percent is the type of credit card you have. So, you know, if you're using, uh, if you have, sorry, type of credit you have, mortgages, mm -hmm. lines of credits, those are good loans. Mm -hmm. um, car loans are okay, better than lots of credit card debt, as you yeah. said. And finally, not all credit cards are considered equal. The major bank cards are better for your credit score than all those um, shopping cards, if right. you will, yeah. or, or store cards. Mm -hmm. So all those other ones, because they have a higher interest rate right. and, uh, and it shows that you're trying to get right. lots of credit. So mm -hmm. just to, to your point, Scott, it does not make sense to have a lot of these different cards. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. 905-529-7165. We're coming right back. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. Call now. Leave a message. They'll get back to you at 905-529-7165. And check out their website at Andy and Don. That's Andy and Don, all one word, dot com. All right, talking about uh, beneficiary do's and don'ts. I have six. Uh, I have three do's and six don'ts. Uh -oh. But you know, when you think about um, and and honestly, we keep getting questions from our listeners after the show about estate planning issues, about mm -hmm. how to minimize estate taxes, how to simplify my estate. I'm worried about my estate. There are a lot of. Um, a lot of gray areas yeah. and a lot of misunderstanding around estate planning, but it is so, so important. And one of the things that is, is a common one that we think about is designating a beneficiary on our plans, on our RSP plan, of course, on our life insurance, on our pension plan at work, on our tax-free savings accounts. These are all different types of investment products where you can name a beneficiary directly. Mm -hmm. And the the historically, 
the thought process has been, well, I can avoid paying probate tax if I name a beneficiary on an account because that money will go directly to that beneficiary, bypassing my will, and therefore I don't have to pay the probate tax. Right. Now, um, there are situations where it does make sense to designate a beneficiary on an account, but there are more <laughs> more scenarios where it doesn't make sense, right. and we're going to step you through them here quickly. So on the okay to designate a beneficiary, uh, a first scenario would be if it's your first marriage or if you're in a first common law relationship, right. and um, <clears throat> your plan is to give 100% of your uh, at death, 100% of your capital to your spouse or partner. Right. And you really don't have any concern for children, like maybe the children are minors at this point and you figure your spouse is going to look after them. So mm-hmm. that's it. And um, But the only time that it still might not make sense is if your spouse has a disability uh, because receiving that money may preclude them from getting access to government benefits. Right. <clears throat> and the second thing might be is if, let's say they run their own business and there's concerns about creditor protection, perhaps mm-hmm. maybe their business could be sued and you don't want that money to be lost right. in, in the form of a lawsuit. So it might be straightforward, but it never always is. Yeah. The second one would be if you have no spouse or no partner, whether you're divorced now or your spouse has predeceased you, and you can leave 100%, let's say, to one beneficiary or one charity. Right. So you have one child or you have one beneficiary that you're leaving your money to or one charity you're leaving your money to. It makes a lot of sense. But in terms of the beneficiary, if you have one child, how mature are they? You know, so now if they're, in their, if they're 25 or 30 years old, maybe that makes sense. But if they're under 25, mm-hmm. maybe it doesn't make sense yeah. still. Um, are there concerns about creditors? Does that one child have issue around their finances? Maybe they have a low credit score. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, um, maybe their money skills aren't great, or maybe they have a disability as well. Mm-hmm. So in that case, it doesn't make sense. The third area where it would make sense is if your estate may be bankrupt or insolvent. So if you know you're in financial troubles and um, really at the end of the day, your estate is negative, but you have a life insurance policy or you have an RSP investment or a pension plan investment, leaving that directly uh, would be a good idea. Basically, you you know, you want to have an estate lawyer to make sure you're covering off that contingency. And segregated funds might be an option, life insurance, RRSPs, and pensions, which are all sort of creditor protected. Now, the areas where it's not okay, and it doesn't make sense to designate a beneficiary on these accounts, so we're coming back to, you know, RSPs, everything, yeah. or TFSAs, is if the beneficiary is a minor, or even a young adult, like a, you know, 18-year-old. And the whole point here, I think, is that um, if it's a minor, then, and, and money's been gifted or uh, g- bequeathed to them, then the parent's going to have to seek a court order to be able to manage that money. Otherwise, the money's going to be managed by the province. And even let's say they're 19 years of age and now they're considered an adult. Do you really want them to receive a million dollars as part of Mm -hmm. that point in their life? So therefore, I think you want to, what you want to think about there is really leaving the money to go through your will and creating a trust for a situation like that. The second one would be a beneficiary is the beneficiary is disabled. So we know that disability income and social assistance gets clawed back if those assets are held individually. And so even if there's a cognitive impairment, then maybe the money ends up being handled by a public trustee. Mm -hmm. 
And so finally, you want to, again, want to use your will. Don't create a beneficiary directly to the person with a disability and use a Henson Trust inside that will. The third area where beneficiary designation doesn't make sense is the blended families. This is a minefield, right? Yeah. You end up, people end up with, um, you know, assets left to one spouse, and then there's no guarantee that the children from your former marriage are going to get anything. Uh, you will have people fighting left, right, and center. And um, uh, the fourth area would be using multiple beneficiaries. <clears throat> so this is common where we might see somebody naming, um, we'll do an example here where let's say you have three children and uh, you want to give uh, a third of your, you're expecting a third of your asset to go to each of them. Well, one of, let's say one of them predeceases you. Well, what will happen is you've named three beneficiaries. One of them is now dead. The other two will receive 50% each. Okay, so that means if that third child had children or grandchildren, right. nothing will go towards their their right. your grandchildren from that. So if you take an RSP for example, you know that case sort of you know if one of them dies, two of them get one hundred percent of the estate, and they pay the tax, or they, but the estate pays the tax on it. And um, so you just have to be very careful. And then using um, contingent beneficiaries, where you might name grandchildren as a beneficiary only gets the money if all three of the primary beneficiaries die. Yeah. And um, and then the second would be a, or sorry, the sixth would be a beneficiary has creditor exposure. So this would be, again, an individual where they have assets that are exposed to creditors. So they use their house as collateral for a business. Um, maybe there's a bankruptcy p uh, possibility. Maybe they have business liabilities. And again, the idea would be don't put a beneficiary on your account make it your estate, go through your will and create a trust for the benefit of them. It all comes back to having a great estate plan and it's such a key component of your overall financial well-being. Yeah, and it comes down to again, just like we just talked about, is having that overall plan and seek a financial planner that is a holistic planner. We have been planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox have been here from IG Private Wealth Management. You can call now, leave a message. They'll get back to you at 905-529-7165 and check out their website at andyanddon.com. Thank you, gentlemen. Thanks have very a great much, week. Scott. Thanks, Scott.